Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome to the regular Monday night class at Against the Stream Meditation Center here in Venice Beach, California. We'll have a period of meditation. I'll give some basic meditation instructions, starting with posture, which is find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. As you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed. Relaxing any unnecessary tension in the face. Let your brow melt, jaw release, shoulders pulled away from the ears, dropping. As you breathe in, feel the sensations that the breath creates. And as you breathe out, try to soften your stomach, any hardness, tension, resistance held in the abdomen, try to soften it. And if there's a core hardness in the belly, try to soften around the edges. Sometimes it feels like there's a brick sitting there of fear, of craving armoring, try to soften around the outside as much as you can. So we practice mindfulness, which is present time awareness without judging what's happening, just being aware of what's happening. And with this theme of acceptance, let your intention, your aspiration for your meditation practice tonight be to completely accept whatever happens. Whatever sounds come, mindfulness receives, accepts. Whatever sensations, whatever emotions, whatever the mind is doing, accepting. Our mind is like this right now. It's planning or remembering, hoping or fearing, worrying or craving. 
the intention to accept the body just as it is, whether the sensations are pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Bringing mindfulness to the breath as the primary focus for the first few minutes. Receiving the breath. The Buddha's instructions were something like breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Feel the sensations of the breath, know it's coming in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. And as much as you can, rather than trying to control the breath, just accept it. Accept that the body breathes all by itself. That the mindfulness is receptive rather than controlling or manipulative of what's happening.
course, we can't make the attention stay with the breath. It gets drawn back into thinking. Accept that as part of the process. The awareness is drawn back into the habit of planning, remembering. But we have this ability to choose to bring the attention back to the breath, the chosen object of awareness, the sensations of breathing.
no need to fight with the mind or the body. Simply accepting right now these sensations are present, pleasant or unpleasant. My mind is doing whatever it's doing, planning, probably, fantasizing, maybe remembering. Breath is a suitable object, anchor, for present time experience. The Buddha's instructions encourage us to expand the focus from the narrow focus on the breath to a more inclusive awareness of your whole body.
including the emotions in the body and including the mind rather than ignoring the mind. Bring mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental awareness, observe, accept your mind as it is in this moment, not trying to still it or quiet it, but to simply see it clearly. My mind's like this right now. as much as you can, meeting the unpleasant experiences in the mind or heart or body with acceptance, with mercy, tolerance, rather than trying to suppress, avoid, try to soften into accepting the present time unpleasant experiences just as they are. Likewise with the pleasant experiences, pleasant memories, plans, fantasies in the mind, sensations, emotions in the body. rather than trying to cling, to keep it, to sustain it. Accepting both the pleasant and the unpleasant as they arise and pass.
go of trying to make this any different than it is. Soften into accepting yourself just as you are this human body. This mind. The effort is into seeing clearly and accepting what is rather than trying to get rid of or create some certain experience. So obviously my topic tonight is around acceptance and explore that a little bit together. And where we started before we meditated, where we introduced each other and thinking about uh, all the things that we find kind of unacceptable. Do you have a long list or a short list? Maybe you're wise enough to feel like, nope, nothing is unacceptable. It's all, it's all acceptable. I do want to um, clarify that my, my sense of acceptance is not, um, not saying that, uh, it's not the same as complacency. It's not, it's not an acceptance, the kind of acceptance that I feel that Buddhism is encouraging us towards and, and the experience that we have is not the same as, it doesn't mean don't do anything about, about it. It doesn't mean complacency. It doesn't mean, because sometimes I feel like my own, like, oh, if I accept it, that means I, I can't do anything about it. But it's not the kind of acceptance that mindfulness brings us into, just seeing clearly, oh, this is true about my mind. This is, this is true, like, uh, you know, something Buddhism 101, like uh, impermanence. Um, it's, it's just true. And the more you are mindful, the more you see everything is constantly changing. And then there's a... Um, 
how much are you going to accept that? Like you've recognized that you understand that first factor of the eightfold path. Understand with, with wisdom that every thing is impermanent. Every relationship, every experience, every uh, thought, every feeling. So do, you ex- do we accept it? You know it's true, right? It's hard to argue with. It's reality. <laughs> but how many levels of reality do we're kind of like, yeah, but I don't accept that. I'm not willing to accept that um, things are constantly changing, that relationships have a beginning and a middle and an end. And you know, the, the, even the ideal loving relationship, long-term, happy connection is impermanent. One of us has to die first, unless we have a suicide pact and we just, you know, <laughs> this is it. We're going out together. But most likely, long-term loving, even in that ideal relationship, uh, it ends. It's impermanent. And accepting that, like, okay, this is what I'm signing up for in relationship. I'm signing up for a beginning, a middle, and even with the idea, with the hope, if you're, you know, into relationships, with the hope of, I hope this lasts and is healthy and is loving for a really long time. But at, there's going to be an end. One of us is going to expire before the other. One of us is going to have to grieve that loss. And, and really being in, uh, rather than in denial, being in acceptance of that thing that you know is true, but we don't want to think about it, right? Oh, like, oh, I know that's true, but I'd rather set that aside. Um, acceptance. I mean, there's so internal, uh, you know, Buddhism is kind of, I feel like a, a path from the inside out, understand the impermanent nature of your own mind, of your emotions, of sensations, of see that and see how we tend to cling, try to hold on, try to push away the unpleasant, cling to the pleasant, and see how much suffering we create for ourselves, stress from that internal clinging and aversion, and then we see it in the world. Oh, how much unpleasantness of the reality of this world do I kind of not want to look at, I want to turn away from, I'm aversive to. You know, on this planet where the reality is that um, greed and hatred and delusion are running the show. This planet where tens of thousands of Children starve to death every single day. In this planet where um, violence and uh, oppression of every kind, racism and sexism and homophobia and uh, transphobia and um, you know, inequality, uh, systematic forms of oppression fueled by greed, fueled by greed for power, greed for 
fueled by hatred, fear. It's a reality, right? Like, you know it. But there was the example I gave, like, it's unacceptable. And so where do we find that of accepting? It's like this here, here on this human plane where everything's impermanent and fueled by craving and aversion and self-centeredness. And it creates all of the suffering that we experience individually. And then it's, you know, on, on the micro and then on the macro, it creates society, greed, hatred, and delusion-based societies. I'm always so surprised when people are like, um, you know, thinking, you know, it's been happening a lot lately with this sort of like idea that like, wait, we're supposed to be in a just society. This society that was born, that was, um, you know, and we could, I'm talking about the United States, but we could probably look at most societies. And, you know, so like this society that was founded on murder and theft, and built by slavery, murder and theft and rape. And then people, here we are going like, but it's supposed to be just. Everyone's supposed to be equal. It says it in the constitution. Even though we know that was for the white folks, not for everyone, but still this this like surprise and this outrage at the reality of the world that we live in. And rather than a, a attitude of like, yeah, of course it's, you know, you build a society based on murder and rape and oppression and privileging the few over the, of course, we're going to have a really fucked up culture. How could it be otherwise? And why are we surprised by it? Why don't we like, yeah, yeah, here we are. We're born into this. Not that it's, you know, uh, born into this and accepting, yep, born into this. You know, the Buddha's culture wasn't that much different. You know, also a culture of racism and sexism and slavery. And, and you know, he was like, yeah, this is the way it is. The caste system and oppression of women and, you know, uh, saw it, didn't deny it and wasn't outraged by it, was just like, this is the way it is. Now, accepting it, recognizing that it's this way and that it's acceptance, not meaning that it's okay. And it's not okay. It is like this. It is, you know, same thing in our uh, relationships. It is impermanent. Same thing in our mind. It is the way it is. Reality is reality. And then comes the question, What's the wise response? And so much of the Buddha's teaching is teaching us how do we respond wisely to the reality of our own minds, to the realities of our own emotions, to this ongoing instinctual drive to get pleasure and avoid pain? What's the wise response? What's the wise response to living in a world that is filled with oppression and ignorance and corporate greed? In the time of the Buddha, it was the kings. Now we have the corporate kings. 
in Queens or whomever. Um, and I, you know, as a Buddhist, I'm always kind of like, well, what would the what would the Buddha do? What did the Buddha do? How did he address these issues? Some of our issues, um, you know, some of the relationship to technology issues that we have now, uh, the Buddha didn't have to deal with 2,600 years ago. So sometimes we have to build some bridges to kind of figure it out. My sense of Siddhartha, the Buddha, fully awakened, full of compassion, non-attached, accepting. But if you look at his life, when he came to his awakening, he spent the next 40 years uh, trying to encourage others to wake up, including those in power, including um the poorest and the kind of the lowest uh, members of society and that racist Indian system of, of caste. Um, you know, kind of the, the rich and the poor, the privileged and the oppressed. Uh, same message of impermanence and and personal, uh, agency and how we relate to impermanence, karma, and uh, the reality that all of our suffering is created by craving and clinging, and the reality that through our own efforts, we can free ourselves from this craving and clinging. So I'm so inspired by, and I know it's a long time ago, and uh, but I continue to be inspired by the Buddha's like social and political action. That his awakening wasn't just um, self-help, wasn't just like, how do I become a better consumer? How do I become a better, uh, you know, how do I monetize this on Instagram? <laughs> wasn't any of that. It was like, how do I really get free? And how do I help as many people as possible get free with the acceptance? Over and over, the Buddha said things like, probably only a handful of people in each generation are going to actually be willing to fully embody this radical path. He didn't think, you know, his teaching wasn't like, hey, if we do A, B, and C, we can change the whole world and there won't be any more oppression. People will start acting right. Everyone will end their grieving, their, their greeting <laughs> and their attachment. And their, he's like, no, no, no. Like, this is the way it is. We're, this is samsara. This is a realm, samsara, the Buddhist word for this realm of perpetual wandering from lifetime to lifetime existence, uh, fueled by greed, fueled by hatred, fueled by self-centered delusion. That is planet Earth. that we're not going to change the whole world, but he still tried 40 years. Anybody who would listen 
you don't have to live like this. <laughs> An itinerant preacher saying, I've done, I know from direct experience that we can end suffering. We don't have to be fueled by greed. We don't have to stay in this racist, sexist, ignorant <laughs> culture that we were born into. It's not your fault you were born into this culture, but it is your responsibility to change your relationship to the reality that you live in, to wake up. In order to do that, we have to accept it. The foundation of transformation, I propose, is accepting the way it is, not the way we think it should be, not the way it, we want it to be, but this is the way it is. And maybe even that bigger view, and you can even, you know, maybe your part of your mind is like, I can't accept. I can't accept the Buddha's teaching that we can't change the whole world or that we're not going to be able to end oppression or that we're not going to be able to end greed or, you know, it's not the most inspiring or kind of hopeful teaching. You know, I think there's a lot of other philosophies that are, you know, kind of like, well, if we all become communists, then we can end all greed. And it's like, oh, that sounds good. I'm not allowed to say that, but it does. It sounds, sounds kind of good. Could we actually end all greed and have a culture of equality? Didn't work very well in China or Russia, or, right? Humans fuck that up too, even though philosophically it's like on paper, wow, everyone could connect and support each other. And it's like, no, let's murder all of the educated people. <laughs> <laughs> let's kill every, you know, the bourgeois, let's murder them. Re-educate those fuckers. <laughs> so maybe your mind, I know that there's a part of my mind that's like, ooh, I think it's true. I I, I, it feels true to me, the Buddha's teaching that this is a realm of ignorance that will continue to be a realm of ignorance and that the best we can do is individual freedom and then using our freedom to help as many people as possible, to be of service, to, uh, to wake up. It makes more sense to me. Um, but there's a part of me that I don't, I, I wish there's some greed, some, some part of me that I wish that weren't true. I wish that, that we were actually in a place where we could collectively heal where there could be a massive, massive shift rather than uh, incremental. What else do you find hard to accept? So let me shift to the um, acceptance. I, I, you know, again, I, I've said, I, I feel like there's this foundational quality of accepting ourselves completely, accepting our minds and all of their bad habits, accepting this body and the 
reality of impermanence, one of the, there's the five daily reflections that the Buddha encouraged. He said, every day, remind yourself about impermanence and karma. Train your mind because your mind isn't naturally in harmony with impermanence. And he said, as, as you wake up every day, remind yourself, this body is of the nature to become ill, disease, injury. I'm not exempt from illness. This body is of the nature to, uh, to age. I'm not exempt, you know, like gravity is, is part of this process. <laughs> Decay is part of this process, aging. How much, you know, is that hard to accept? I feel like there's a culture of youth culture. Supposed to stay young. Impossible to stay young. Physically, anyways. You can stay super immature. I've been somewhat successful at that. But my body keeps aging. And saying to ourselves, I'm of the nature to, this body is of the nature to die and to be impermanent. Death is certain. Unavoidable. And to accept it, right? How much, uh, how unacceptable does death feel? Oh, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think that my loved ones are going to die, that my children are going to die that my parents are going to die even though we know it like i think that's a that's a big one for so many people in our culture of denial around death it's like we know our parents are going to die but we don't want to really accept that want to let that in want to deny it we know our children are going to die I don't want to fucking think about that. They're just children. Even if your children are adults, still, I don't want to think about that. I want to deny it. I want to suppress it. I want to avoid that unpleasant reality. I don't want to accept it. Like, okay, I'll accept it, but don't talk to me about it. The fourth daily reflection is to remind ourselves that everything is impermanent and everything that we love and everything that we cling to and everything that we cherish will be lost. Can't keep any of it, right? When you are, your impermanence comes, your death. There's the sort of American kind of like, whoever dies with the most toys wins. You just have a bunch of toys left behind. You don't get to keep anything and accepting that, reflecting on it. And then he makes the shift, the teaching makes the shift to karma. So the only thing that we truly own is our actions. You don't get to keep any of the material stuff. Your bank accounts go when you go. Your stuff, your houses, your toys, they'll go. But your karma, you own. And even when you die, your karma goes with you into the next life, into the next realm of existence. 
It's our karma that is, is uh, all that remains from this life when this life ends. Both, you know, and somebody asked me recently to clarify, both negative and positive karma. So it's not just like, oh, well, you got to take your bad deeds with you. You take your good deeds with you too. Like there, there's some, you know, the, the, all of the kindness, all of the generosity, all of the wise ways that you behave, you own that. You, that's yours. That's your wisdom. That's your compassion. And it continues in this cycle. And also your craving and your aversion and your self-centered also. And this is the ultimate teaching of, of, of the Buddha, which is that in this lifetime, if we can end greed and hatred and delusion by being compassionate all of the time and non-attached and generous, and not only will you not suffer here and now, you don't have to keep being reborn into another realm of suffering. You can, this is the deathless, it's awakening, it's nirvana, is the end of rebirth. So even, you know, some of you Buddhist-minded, thinking about, oh, do you accept that? I don't know about this reincarnation shit. Mindfulness works pretty well, I know that. But getting a little esoteric when you start talking about death and rebirth and karma, karmic debt, karmic purification. You know, there is a, I feel like there's a promise in Buddhism that you don't have to believe anything. And I, I know when I start, uh, I feel like when I start talking about this level of, do you accept this teaching, that it's bordering on faith and like blind faith. Um, I want to pause for a moment to address that and say, uh, my own sense is, you don't have to believe any of it. You don't have to, accept, um, you know, there's no hard sell to accept karma or reincarnation or any of that. But it's for your contemplation. You get to investigate it. I do encourage you to not too quickly dismiss it because your thinking conditioned Western scientific materialist mind can't quite make sense of it. So you're just like, I'll just dismiss that. That can't be true because... In third grade science, they said <laughs> matter is, you know, whatever, whatever, you know. So, uh, but to investigate and to contemplate and, and to have a, a healthy skepticism about our own beliefs, including what we are certain about. Even the kind of clinging and certainty around Buddhism, if, if you're in that camp, like this all has to be true. Maybe, maybe it's okay if some of it, if you have some uh, healthy inquiry around it. The Buddha was once asked, um, why should we believe you? Why should we accept your teachings as the ultimate truth? Um, uh, by a group of people who were on the circuit, the lecture circuit in India. And he said, hey, there's some Hindu guru here last week telling us this was true. And there's some, you know, some Sikh was coming through and telling us this was true. And, you know, 
Christians weren't around but yet, but you know, the Christians were saying this is true, Jews are saying this is true, and Buddhists are saying, and you know, there's some universal truths that they're all saying, but then there's some core differences. Who should we believe? Who should we trust? Whose teaching should we accept? And he said something like, well, don't accept any of them based on just like their presentation. Don't believe them just because they're like saying this is true. Don't accept that. That's not a worthy reason to accept it. Like, well, you know, that dude said it. So it must be true. He said, but reflect on it, investigate it, look for yourself and try, like if somebody's offering a practice, try the practice and see, does it eliminate suffering in your life? Does it lead to freedom, to wisdom, to compassion? He said, don't believe it because it's like an ancient, your parents believed it. Don't accept it like, well, my parents believe this, so I have to accept it. Not a good reason to accept it. Well, it's in the book, the holy book, the Buddha suttas, the Bible, the Quran, the, it's in the book. It has to be true. This is the word. Not a good reason to accept it. Read it, reflect on it, apply it, and see, does it alleviate suffering in your life? Before accepting spiritual or religious teachings. So I, I like that kind of empowerment. Like you don't have to believe this, investigate it deeply, find out for yourself what's true. So on one level, I, I really, it's a little broad, but I feel like acceptance is the foundation for wise action. It's like this, and it's calling for compassion. It's calling for social and political action. It's calling for, uh, you know, like even the, the teaching, you can free yourself from suffering in this life. If you come to know that and you accept it, but also accept that in order to do that, you got to meditate every day. You have to, um, Practice the five precepts, renouncing violence and dishonesty and misconduct and intoxication and saying like, okay, I accept not just theoretically, but the actions that it takes. If I want to get free, I got to do all of this work. I got to follow it up with action, not just like, oh, yeah, I totally believe Buddhism. Totally accept it. I don't do it but I, it makes sense. And that the true, uh, you know, is the, the follow-up, the engagement, the direct verified accepting, this is freeing me. This is changing slowly, incrementally, my relationship to the world, my relationship to my own mind. So I want to circle back around to this question of like, is there anything that's unacceptable? Can you not accept something and not suffer about it? 
Now, I feel like when it comes to like big parts of reality, like it's just the world we live in, we accept it and we respond as wisely as we can to the reality of racism and sexism and homophobia and the, the, the culture that we live in. It's like this. And how can we have a wise response? There's one teaching that I was reminded of recently where the Buddha talked about acceptance. He, um, somebody came to him, he was visiting with somebody. People used to love to come and fight with the Buddha and uh, argue with him and insult him and say that he was wrong and they were right. And, um, and I forget who it was, but it's one of the suttas. He was in this dialogue with this person and they were insulting him and criticizing him. And, and his response was, he said to the guy who was insulting him, he said, you know, like, if you offer someone a gift, you say, hey, I have this present for you. And um, they do not accept your gift. And they say, no, thanks. I do not accept your gift. Uh, who does that gift belong to? Is it the person that you intended it for? Or does it still belong to you? And the angry, I think he was a king, the angry king said, uh, well, I guess, you know, if they don't accept it, then it's still mine. And the Buddha said, cool. I don't accept your insults. So you can keep them. <laughs> And I like that as like a shift in acceptance, right? Because we have to be so careful for this, like, oh, I have to accept what you say to me and take it on. And I have to suffer about it. You've hurt my feelings. You've bruised my ego. You've, you know, whatever it is of coming to that place of like, actually, that's your karma, your, your anger, your insult, your ignorance. I don't need to take that on. I don't need to. I mean, I have to accept you as an ignorant fool of a king or whatever it is with clarity, but I don't need to take it on. I don't need to hold it. I can just say like, that's your shit. So hard to do that, right? When somebody's to not defend, to not meet ignorance with criticism. To just say, I'm not going to take it. You can keep that. You know, that's yours. That's your suffering. That's your ignorance. That's your confusion. So maybe some level of um, looking at what we have to accept and what sometimes we can say, I choose not to accept some of the offerings of others. You gotta accept your mind. I wonder, like, maybe we can do that internally a little bit too. Like when you're watching your mind, you're being mindful and your mind's being real critical and it's, you know, judging and it's comparing and it's attacking. Your mind does that sometimes, right? We could even turn to your own mind and say like, I don't accept you, <laughs> these insults. <laughs> 
the Buddha actually separated the wise, you know, his own awakening was like, we have to live with this mind. And he's like, there's a, a wise mind an awakened quality of Buddha mind of awareness. He's like, but within that, there's still this quality of Mara, this craving, this aversion, this judgment. And uh, he accepted, yeah, I have to live with Mara. Mara craves, Mara judges, Mara uh, compares, Mara feels jealous, Mara feels insecure, Mara, all of those thoughts. And he, he would just turn to that quality of his own mind and say, I see you. I accept you. And I know that you're not who I am. I know you're not right. I know this is not uh, worthy of receiving the gift of criticism, judgment, insecurity, whatever the mind is producing. So that's a radically different than we normally relate to our thoughts, right? Like, especially if you don't meditate, you know, if, when we start meditating in the beginning, we, we all come, I think we all come to meditation, basically taking it all personal. But part of the shift that happens over long-term Buddhist meditation practices, you start to see, man, so much of what's happening in my mind is not my fault, is not personal, is not volitional, is not wise. And I can choose to have some discernment about how much of it I obey, how much of it I take on, how much of it I treat like the angry king and say, no thanks to your own mind. So some of my thoughts about acceptance, any questions, comments, clarifications at home or from folks in the room? What do you think about acceptance? One thing you didn't mention was environmental devastation. Yeah. difficult to accept, so easy to kind of want to go into denial around the reality that uh, doesn't look like the planet's going to be all that sustainable for human life for all that much longer. That's a big one, right? We're like, oh, I don't want to fucking look at that reality that we've done irreparable damage to this planet. That shit's scary. I'm glad I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> but it's scary for our kids and for their kids and just just for the reality of wow we really fucked this planet up and we'll see what happens you know and watching your mind around like ah, it'll be okay we'll figure it out science will figure out everything you know oh maybe you know like it'll be cheap to move to mars at some point <laughs> whatever just watching what our mind does around that or you know or these like insane climate change deniers no judgment if you're one of them <laughs> but this like insanity of like let's just pretend that that shit's not true <laughs> let's just like put aside reality and science and just be like that's that shit's not true this is normal like you know ice ages just come and go it's not it's not our fault it's not the coal it's not you know it's like no it's the fucking coal dude 
<laughs> Russ, go ahead. Uh, I always like it when you talk about how the Buddha recognize that we're not going to change the entire world because most of my life I thought I was going to change the entire world <laughs> and that was the cause of a lot of suffering and drinking and cocaine use actually um, because it just was so depressing when it didn't work out that way. Anyway, so the, the I like the idea uh, you know how well it might not work but we're doing it for our own liberation. You know we're trying and we're not trying to we're not saying we're going to meet a goal. And back to the communist ideal, um, you know, just like, you know, I, th that Russia, it didn't work in Russia and China, you know, it also didn't work in Buddhist society, you know, like when China, excuse me, when India became all Buddhist because the king commanded everyone to be Buddhist, and, and now there are places where Buddhists are killing, you know, other religions, you know, people, uh, you know, it's been corrupted a lot, you know, but that doesn't make me disappointed in Buddhism. Right. And so I just wonder, can we, are, are Buddhists sometimes afraid to look at what the Buddha was actually teaching about private property? And, you know, he was creating a communist society. It was a mon monastic society, but there was something good about it that he wanted. Right. And just because we're not going to create a worldwide <laughs> monastery, does that mean that we reject the ideals, you know, of frankly, communism, you know, stateless, propertyless, society where everyone helps each other. No, I like I like what you're saying. My sense is that um, I'd have to dig a little bit more into it, but my sense is that it, it's, it is sort of a communal uh, society that the Buddha created for the monastics, but that for the householders, his, he was just kind of like, yeah, if you're in a, just be like a responsible capitalist. <laughs> um, was the, the kind of core of it because he talked to the kings and he's like you don't have to give everything up but just be really generous and responsible and you know like you don't need so much like share it um so it was like a um you know it wasn't the unbridled capitalism that we have now he, you know his encouragement was like okay if you're a householder be a householder be careful with your money be careful with your you know like make sure that you have enough for yourself and to be generous with others and but it, it was a little um it wasn't just being realistic it's yeah not gonna, again it's not, not gonna, gonna change the whole world not gonna change the whole world but he's gonna by example show this is a way you know people could live yeah if but you I, want to give up all your property and people aren't gonna do that yeah yep and also uh like okay he didn't he didn't think we could change the whole world but here we are 2600 years later with you know millions and millions and millions of people having applied his example and having alleviated suffering in their lives and yeah buddhism got all corrupted and you know in, in so many different ways but the core of it still like a handful and you've heard me say before like if even if a handful is like one percent of eight billion people is that 80 million math I think it's 80 million. Uh, that's a fucking lot of wise people. It's a lot of wisdom in this world if 1% of the population is, is really trying to be wise and see clearly and, and accept reality as it is and respond wisely to it. So it's not nothing. Any questions at home? Michael, please go ahead. 
Thanks, Nola. And the the timing of this teaching, I feel like, is really apropos too. Um, I, I look at like how I came to the path. I've only been in it in a relatively short amount of time, and you know, I lived heedless. I lived in greed, hatred, and delusion. And um, the first noble truth um, that you know there will be suffering. Um, my limited understanding of it is just that you know there's going to be suffering we got to change our relationship to it and you know stop clinging and craving and change our relationship to everything and like i think about acceptance about the nature of the world and i mean america specifically was founded on genocide and a lie and um the world's always been on fire and i i feel like the buddha to some degree in his teaching said that it always will be but like the few people who don't have dust in their eyes and take undertake this path can make some level of change. And I think you're teaching tonight kind of laid that out. And I kind of struggle, like, and I know maybe other people do in the Sangha a lot with the whole social justice thing and virtue signaling and back and forth and, and conjecture and what should we do, what shouldn't we do. And um, I really feel like, you know, the teaching tonight spoke to acceptance and spoke to you know just how much our life patient in the path and, and doing what needs to be done and um you know taking on the precepts and and, and and authentically living this thing is a change and it's being a part of change so i just wanted to say thanks thanks michael nice to see you so last one and then we'll end yeah please so on this path against the stream there's shit floating in the water that comes up pretty fast. And if you don't jump fast enough, you get hit in the head and you know, you're still going that way. And and then boom, something else hits you, and you know, and you said find the shore and rest for a minute or two, because that was a big one. Um and I did keep going that way. But I feel like maybe I'm wrong here, it is to find some sort of balance. You know, it seems innate that we are suffering almost regularly given you know the, the ebb and flow and because of that comfort seeking comfort is innate somehow but reality is is shit's gonna happen and, and, and you want to sit here and think about you know the globe you know gonna explode in a little while we're doing need to laugh today and you know check out with some Netflix thing. So how do you how do you manage the balance between yes, reality is stuff's a little fucked up. And I personally try to do my best to help yeah. in some way. But where's the how do you find that balance, I guess, is my I mean I I feel like you mostly answered it in the question. Um, which I can't, I can't answer for you or anyone else, but it's the right question, which is um, how do we find the balance between our Dharma practice and our seeing clearly and accepting the environmental as well as the, um, you know, identity and social political reality of the world that we live in um, and still and not suffer about it accepting it right so i feel like acceptance is part of it and half of it is compassion 
And the other half is joy, right? The Buddha's appreciative joy. He didn't say like, hey, let's just look at all the suffering and only focus on the suffering and everything that's wrong. He said like, also, when you wake up, look at all of the joy and beauty and fucking laugh. In, you know, and not, you know, not the bypass where it's like we're denying the reality and we're just partying our way to, you know, uh, imminent demise, but with compassion, with that balance, and I can't answer it for you or anyone else, but each one of us, like, are you doing your practice and practicing renunciation and engaged in some service, whether it's social, political, environmental, you know, trying to be part of a positive change and having some fun, having some joy, having some sense of humor in the midst of like, yeah, it's totally on fire. And it's kind of fun, isn't it? <laughs> it can be both. So we'll leave it there. Um, class is done by donation against the stream as a nonprofit organization. I am not, I feel like I'm not, I don't know if I, I feel like I'm not very good at fundraising, um, but we, I do need to do some fundraising in the sort of year end, like uh, year end fundraising. And usually I used to have like fundraisers that would help. Uh, I don't have anybody to help me do that anymore. So I'm the, I gotta ask for your money <laughs> as much as you'd like to give. Uh, class is done by donation. So, uh, you know, we, we don't charge people to come, whether it's on Zoom or uh, walking in, but we need to pay the rent. We, we have overhead. We have, um, you know, it's an organization and a, a, a you know, livelihood for me. So please be as generous as you can and really consider, I, I feel like one of the best ways is to become a monthly supporter. And to just say, like, I'm going to sign up for the recurring monthly donation, whether I'm showing up or not, to support the organization, uh, rather than this sort of capitalist fee for service. I'll give some money if I like the Dharma talk. It's not <laughs> such a good Dharma talk. No donation. Um, you know, kind of getting out of that fee for service and just saying, I want to support this center and the community uh, being here. and. Um, so please consider there's a, a link in the Zoom chat for the recurring monthly donations. And if you can do it for a year, it would be great and um, sign up. Um, and if you're not in the ability to do that right now, no problem. You're, you know, you're always welcome to be here regardless of financial. So, so please keep, keep connecting. Um, I'm going to do a New Year's, actually speaking of fundraising, I'm going to do a New Year's Eve thing. And I'm only going to let 50 people be in the room because of, you know, keeping the space. The Two years ago when we did it up here, like about 100 people packed in the room. And I don't think 100 people in the room with COVID stuff is the best right now. Um, so I'm going to limit it to 50 and we're going to sell tickets and we're going to sell tickets for 50 bucks as a fundraiser for the nonprofit. And then people can do it at home on Zoom. I'll do hybrid for the New Year's Eve. I'm going to do 10 p.m. to 1230. I'll do a post, a social post and an email about it soon. But uh, consider joining for New Year's Eve, um, 10 p.m. to 1230 a.m. We'll do a meditation through the midnight hour and 
listen to the fireworks and machine guns or whatever happens <laughs> around here. And um, the other announcement that I have is that in two weeks, if you or anybody you know is going to be up in the Bay Area, December 11th, this documentary that um, is like a feature. Uh, mostly about me, they started making this movie about refuge recovery and about how we are creating this Buddhist, uh, you know, alternative recovery program. And then in the middle of it, there, you know, the refuge recovery started to implode and against the stream and um, this accusation against me. So it's all addressed in this film. And it's, it's the uh, premiere of the film, the, you know, in a kind of live theater premiere, December 11th in Marin up in the San Francisco Bay Area. So if you know any, if you're up there, if you know anybody that's up there, send them out. I'm gonna be there and, and speak and have do a kind of Q&A with people. And it should be really interesting because I've got a lot of enemies in that neighborhood. <laughs> and um, so it should be, should be sort of fun uh, gang war, like Buddhist, <laughs> Buddhist gang war in Marin. And you're all, you're all invited. I need some, basically what I'm saying is I need some backup. So anybody that wants to come with me, I'd appreciate it. Yes, bring your meditation cushions. We're going to have a meditation battle. It's um, December 11th, uh, which is Saturday, December 11th. Um, at 1.30 p.m. in Marin. I'll put out a post on the you know, social soon. It's the Buddhist Film Festival. Something. In San Rafael. Something. Oh, San Rafael, yeah. Marin, San Rafael. Marin County. Marin County, yeah. Okay, so many goodness that comes from our Practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions with all beings. May each one of us come to accept ourselves fully and completely, and to accept this world just as it is fully and completely. And together may we respond so wisely that we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.